he's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata. And Bellatified. out there welcome to episode 33 of Bolotify, the one and only podcast about event entertainment and engagement i'm anthony Bolotta, your prime Bolotifier, and i don't know why i just said that but here is alex apostolides my one and only Bolotophile. hello hello and welcome back thank you Yes. Did you have a little, uh, Alex took a little break a few days. Was it a break? It. I did. It was nice. I uh, decided I needed to start doing the things I used to do mm-hmm. when I was much younger and single. And that was just going out and exploring the city by myself. So I used to have some haunts like downtown La Jolla and Coronado and Seaport Village so I did that this week and I went, took myself to La Jolla on Memorial Day. And then I took myself down to Seaport Village yesterday and just walk around, enjoy the view, and then treat myself to a little, little meal overlooking the ocean. And that's what I did. And it was lovely. Good. Me time. Yeah. Yeah. Me time outside of the apartment, which was... Yeah, that's key. That's key. Because yeah. it's not me time when you're in your environment and you're seeing things that need to be done. Right. Exactly. It just even if you don't choose to do them, they still gnaw at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's about getting away. I'm glad. I'm glad you did that for yourself. They yeah. sound like great days, actually. I right up my alley. Yeah. Well, you, you you went alone. You were just on your own and you were just Yeah. Alone. I mean, I spent time with friends. I got to go for a hike and and went up to a friend's house. So I did some of that. And then I just decided that I needed, I used to do it two or three times a month, I would take one of my weekend days and go spend walking around, exploring, going in shops. So I need to start doing that again because I love my friends, but it's okay just to, I have to remember how to do all those things alone again. And uh, well, those, I forgot how much I enjoyed it. Especially if those are things that you do enjoy and and fill you, fill your soul, you know? And sometimes you let go of those things and you don't notice that you really miss them until months, years later. And then the tendency is, oh, you know, I'll get back to that someday. So good for you for rekindling some experiences that fill your soul and, you know, make you feel good. You know, yeah. and it's important to take care of yourself. And Lord- make you realize that being alone doing those things it's not a bad thing. You not know, I think all. when you're married and you, you know, and you have your friends and you just get used to, well, if I don't have anybody to go with, I can't go. And I realized I don't, I, I, have, I don't have to think that way anymore. No, it's almost the opposite mm-hmm. is true. You have nobody to account to, 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 you know, to get permission from, you know, you, your time is yours. 
Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. And you earned it. I mean, you know, you're not what I would call a selfish person by any means. Yeah. That would be a stretch. <laughs> so, you. no, seriously. So, you know, I mean, you needed it. You did it. You should continue to do it. Mm -hmm. I hope you do. I'll encourage it. I'll probably ask you from time to time if you've taken a walk in La Jolla or, or Seaport Village, which is going to change mm -hmm. soon. Right. Uh, so it's breaking my heart a little. I'm not going to lie. It, it's a bit of nostalgia being torn away. But on the other hand, there isn't really that much that's there that that's so compelling. You want to go, you know, I mean, except for, you know, if it's a, something that you admire and cherish and have done for years and years and years. You know, um, it's not, I'm not drawn to it, for example. Like if we'll go take a walk, we might walk the harbor, mm -hmm. but we won't necessarily go through Seaport Village. And it should be that. It should be, yeah. I mean, I do, you know, but obviously not enough people were doing it or they wouldn't be changing it, you know? Yeah, well, that is interesting that they are um, because it's not as though the shops there are empty. There, you know, there are proprietors in those shops selling their wares. So it's not as though it's been abandoned. So it is interesting that they are choosing to re-energize it, change it. I don't know what the talk is recently, but there was talk about a needle a tower and a needle going up there, a viewing tower similar to the one in Seattle oh. for, quite, for quite some time. And I believe there's talk about a, a, a one wheel, uh, Ferris wheel, if you will, uh, similar to those they call the eye, if you will, in mm -hmm. London and Orlando, mm -hmm. also going there. They have one in Vegas too, right? They sure do. Yeah, I've yes. been in that one. Mm -hmm. A lot of cities have them. Mm -hmm. It's... Uh, where were we recently? And they had it, not Vegas, but I was somewhere recently and they had one and, and I was surprised. It's, it's more, it's, they're, they're more uh, uh, common than we tend to think. They're cool too. And I the, think San Diego with the incredible views we have would do well to yes. have it. So that's my, you know, as long as they keep it where it's it doesn't become so exclusive that it prohibits people from going there as long as it's still a place i can go and park my car and walk the harbor and you know treat myself to lunch or whatever and still be an enjoyable afternoon then i'm happy yeah. I'll, I'll be sad that some of those shops are you know the shops are going to go because they've been there for so long but you know here's hoping it's still uh allows for a, a wonderful afternoon, especially for, you know, when you have company coming in, it was always a place we would take them. Seaport Village and Old Town and, you know, Coronado, those were always the haunts that we right. would take out of towners too. Well, the, the, the pier is more accessible and more user-friendly than it was, mm -hmm. uh, the, the redevelopment by the Port of San Diego. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and I'm just throwing this out there based on the protocols around Balboa Park, which uh, are all 
around the idea that the, it is a city park and it belongs to the city's citizens of San Diego. Uh, as long as that protocol is carried over, we'll have no issue. And San Diego is pretty good about making sure its residents are not displaced in its use of any uh, land, you know, parks, public use lands, any, any, anywhere. Uh, so I have to believe that it'll be user friendly and you can still go and get an ice cream cone. Uh, and you know, walk and not spend money and be able to park your car at a meter, which you know is not as much as paying $15 to park your car when you want to take an hour walk and you know, if that's a lot. You know, I will say this: the prices for parking at the village have gone up because I validated, and for me to be there for two hours, it was quite expensive. I was shocked when I, after I put in my little validated ticket and I went, wait, what? And it was validated. And it was validated so and I, it was hefty. How, how so much, how much was that parking? It was $24 for Whoa! me to park. Yep, $24 for me to park there for two hours, I think. Maybe three, maybe I was there three hours. Wow. So I, <laughs> squealed a little and then went, that's okay. It's my little staycation. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's nasty. That's nasty. Yeah. I think, especially if you're validated, it means you went, you went to the shops, you, you purchased something mm -hmm. that should account for something. Well, see, there you go. That validation really counts for nothing. What was the parking without it? I, I have to wonder. I, well, when I went in, I kind of checked. I went, gee, I wonder if this has changed. And I went, okay, well, that's not bad. And then I'm going to get validated. So I, you know, not wanting to hold up cars behind me, I may not have read it as carefully, but I have gone there many a time and it's never cost me that much money. Yeah. So, you know, again, we pay a lot of money to live here. It's, it's not easy to live financially in this beautiful city of ours. And yeah, we pay for the weather, but we also pay for the scenery. So all those things do have to be accessible if we want to keep our people here. I agree. And parking shouldn't be the obstacle. Uh, you know, I mean, all although there is pretty good public transit in downtown and there are ways to get down there without necessarily getting in a car, uh, it's still a bit absurd. It's, it's just very hard to digest a, a, a bill like that, a parking fee like that, uh, especially when the automation is what it is and there isn't anybody there. Right. Yes, there's a, there is definitely a, uh, there is an investment in that infrastructure, but come on. It, that, but a, that investment in that infrastructure happened a long time ago. Exactly. Not it's like they've that parking lot in 40 years. Right. You know? So, right, right. Um, somebody, I was talking to Patty Roscoe, who is going to be on our program soon. And uh, for those of you who don't know the name Patty Roscoe, she is the PR be behind the PRA in Patty Roscoe and Associates, the uh, premier DMC. And first, in my uh, understanding and knowledge, uh, to my knowledge, to have uh, franchised uh, 
Patty started PRA in San Diego in the 1980s, and she'll be on our show. She was telling me that she was speaking to the owner of, excuse me, she was talking to me about the owner of Ace Parking and how well he's done here in the city and how she wished that she had invested in these parcels of land as he did because wow yeah yeah that was smart yeah it was, it was smart. very smart but mm, for those of you who don't know uh ace parking is is one of our premier parking uh companies in san diego they own a lot of land downtown and pretty much all of the parking lots they're not even garages they're lots downtown anyway i'm showing my disdain for High parking charges. Yeah. That's enough from us. Let's, uh, right? Let's, <laughs> let's introduce our guest today. Yay. Yay, yay, yay. Super excited. I just, I just love this person. I know I say that about all our guests, but it's true. I do. He, uh, our guest today, he's an innovative style and an extreme attention to detail. He studied contemporary circus medium from all angles. And this is very interesting. I just learned this. He passed the rigorous Cirque du Soleil audition as a clown and character performer. And apparently that is not easy to do. And he did it. Um, and he's worked in nearly every aspect of theater, both on stage and behind the curtain, as well as on TV and film. And in addition to being a consummate creator, producer, and performer, he's also creating programs that meld entertainment and wellness practices to address the human experience of a company or, or an organization to inspire curiosity and connection. I love that. Mm. So please, let's welcome Mr. Derek Gilday. Hey, Derek, Derek, Derek. Hey, Derek. Hi there, Anthony. How's it going? Oh, not so bad. How are you? Doing pretty good. I just spritzed myself with some lilac spray yes, multiple you times. You do smell better. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> As my godfather would say, Derek, you smell delicious. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thanks, Alex. I'll do a little bit more just now. Just, uh, just get me all part up. It's so good. Y'all ever try this? No. What is that? This is a flower water. It's called lilac. This is a lilac flavored one, aromatherapy mm -hmm. mist. I kind of just found it here in my drawer. I think I lost it for a while. I was sitting here waiting. I tried it out and I swear this feeling of this like, oh, came over me. It was so nice. So oh, nice. I want one of those. You guys should get one. You should all have one. It should be in your glove box of your car so that whenever you walk in or out of somewhere that you feel like you want to be super chill for. Mm. So are you feeling super chill then? I am. I'm feeling pretty chill now. Right now good. I am. Yeah. Like aroma is such a powerful one. So yeah, I feel really good. Really happy to be here. We're happy to have you. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Thanks. Oh my gosh. Thanks. So wait. So the first question I have to ask, if you don't mind, is tell us about, if you will, audition for Cirque du Soleil and some of the ropes you had to go through. If you don't mind, describe that a bit. Oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, that was such a cool moment in my life, that audition. Um, I'd went to study at the Clown Conservatory up in San Francisco at the San Francisco Circus Center. 
and it was being led by a gentleman named Joe Diefenbacher, who's an American clown, but lives in London. He's been there for, I think, 15 years. He's been touring and working in Europe. And him and Dan Griffiths ran the program, and it was about, it was a seven-month program up in San Francisco, and I was actually, it was expensive, and then the lodging was expensive too, and I had a sprinter van, so I just decided to sleep in my sprinter van in the upper height as I would go and study at the clown conservatory. And then eventually they started letting me in early in the morning to take showers and such a cool moment in my life. And then after that I finished and I started touring a little bit and an audition for CERT came up. And so I just applied and then they sent me in and they put me into the auditions in Las Vegas through my promo video I sent to them. And then I went there, there's 45 people. We all have numbers on. I was super nervous. Mm -hmm. um, but I had already been training with some like really great teachers and I had a bunch of experience already. And they went through the first pass of people just running basic exercise, not basic, but physical comedy, theater, clown exercises where like, for example, that 45 of us start on one side of the room and they say, all right, we want you to come in briefly and quickly, but we want you to investigate the space as you make your way across the floor coming in. And right away I could see certain people like, oh, you're gonna get cut, you're gonna get cut. Just the, there's just a different uh, temperance, temperament for different artists working in. And so it was really cool just going like, oh, I'm going to investigate this room. I've investigated a lot of rooms. And then we did that and then they cut about 20 of us or 20 of them. And then we went on to the next round and they started pairing us up with different artists and saying okay now you have 10 minutes go over and create a skit with this stranger to come back and show it to us I'm like okay um came back into that skip then they cut another group of us then they got down to 10 and then they started having us run some characters that are already in search shows i did the character from is it mystere forget i forget his name i think it was mystere it's um uh, I forget the character, but they had this very specific scene. They're like, all right, we want you to play this exact same scene, like go out and work it. Um, I'd seen it before. And uh, so I came back and played the scene. And then after that, they cut everyone else. And there was just four of us. And I, every time I would go out and I'd call my mom, I'm like, oh my God, mom. She's like, what? I was like, I'm on to the next round. <laughs> She's like, really? And I was like, yeah. And then I do it again and I do it again. And I'm like, what? I can't, I mean, whatever. I, I, it's not like I expected to get cut. I just didn't know if I was going to keep going. And then all of a sudden you're there. And uh, then after there was just four of us and he was like, Hey, you know, at this moment, we feel comfortable putting any of you on a search show. Um, we're going to have you run some more skits, run some other individual characters and uh, then we'll send you off. And so then we did one more run through of some specific characters. I did another act by this specific clown. And I think I'm pretty sure it was Mysterious Show. I, I don't remember. Um, but then I got to watch these other artists play too. And it was so cool. They had two artists play the same character, the same scene, which was really interesting. And one of them came out and played it in a very typical way, which I'd seen before. That character was from Kaw. And then another gentleman came out and played that character in a very different way. And I remember being surprised and really liking it and walking up to him. I think this guy, I, I kind of took a liking to him. I think halfway through the audition, 
I was outside and we would take breaks and go outside and I walked up to him and I'm like, where did you train? I can just tell. I was like, you trained somewhere at a physical theater school. I can just tell by what you're doing. And he was like, oh, I trained in, in London for a while and I think another school somewhere in Europe. And I could just, just his language. I was like, oh, cool, man. You're like, you have a lot of, you have something to share. And the fact that he played that character so uniquely as well, I don't think it actually worked. I think they, I mean, especially with Cirque, they like, hey, here's this character played the exact same way. But um, I really loved watching him just take his, you know, time with it. And also, you know, he, he kind of took control of creative control of the character, which is really nice to see. So questions. Yeah. I hope you don't mind. Please. So, so what was it about his performance? Can you, can you pinpoint one or two things that stood out that were, that elevated his performance for you? I think the, a really important one is timing. Like I could just tell like the, the small, so there's this thing called liminal space and it's the action between actions. There's, I mean, it might be a, a more depthy uh, description of that, but liminal space is the action between actions. So it's how much time is he taking between this action and the next? And uh, how, how is he shaped, like shaping his body when he's working? Like there is a very natural smoothness to him, but then you could also see like his hits. I'm like, oh, wow. His timing of what he's saying or moving just feels, it just feels comfortable to the viewer. So it's not only a natural state of being, but then it's also an understanding of tempo. So it's like, once you start to understand that tempo and there's this thing that humans just naturally adapt to, you know, but then once you start to find out that that tempo that humans really like and is comfortable to, for them, then you start like disrupting that tempo and you start mm. holding back from that. And the, uh, and the brain is like, wait, I'm supposed to get that thing. And then you're like, okay, now here it is. So it's just having this vocabulary to understand tempo and timing that I think really, um, I can see it in actors. And like back phrasing and singing. What's up? It's like back phrasing and singing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. There's this like I've realized so many things just are the same <laughs> when it comes to training. Like, yeah, it's like keep putting Rex fine and you know, open eyes and remember your lines and don't bump into furniture. <laughs> so, um, I have another question about that performance how much of the audience's engagement do you think flavors the performance in a Cirque show? Oh Especially gosh. with a, a clown or a ground performer, you know, not somebody who's obviously in a routine doing flips and because that's a different kind of momentum and timing. And, but for someone whose job it is to enchant and mystify and engage the audience in a storytelling sort of way, as the storyteller, if you will. Um, how, how, how important is the audience reaction and how much playing off of that is there? The audience is so important, but <laughs> I also feel like as you mature as an actor or artist, the audience becomes less important. Um, I mean, in reality, the audience, that's why you're there is to, to serve them. Um, but you also need a receptivity. So 
I believe like an audience makes or breaks a show. And when you have an audience that let's say like Cirque, for example, like people come to these shows and they sit down eager and ready to play and engage. Like they are ready and you don't have to work as hard to get them on your side. It's not like it's just easy. The reason you're there is because you're a skilled actor, but they are just there to play, man. And like, you'll find other audiences like that. Like you step into space and you're like, oh, these people are ready to play. Cool. Um, and you start get like, you'll be in other audiences and you know, everything shifts to it might be you, maybe uh, you're not in the same space. Maybe something happened in that town or that area that earlier that week, or maybe, maybe everyone's tired. Maybe everyone's been in the sun all day. Like there's so many different um, scenarios that can come into affect the way an audience interacts with you. But ideally, as you progress in your experience, um, you know how to slowly turn an audience, mm -hmm. just slowly working at them. Um, but I mean, performing, let's say via Zoom and doing these things over the past year, I mean, just challenging. <laughs> Very. You know, so, and uh, like I did some, I did a show in Vegas last month, um, as a physical comedian for a show and I had a mask on and I hadn't like played with an audience for about a year. And so obviously there's a couple little like hiccups. You're like, Oh, okay. Wait, Oh, I'm in front of people. Oh, Whoa. Okay. Like how do I engage? But then I also realized I was like, Oh, I'm covering 60% of my face. Right. Like they don't even get to see my mouth. Like all they're seeing is my eyes. And um, I still had a really good time. It was, I did six shows out there and I feel like the audience had a good time. I had a good time, but I could feel that disconnect because of uh, the inability to show my expression to sort of like get vulnerable with them. So how did you compensate for that? Because obviously you learned some tricks while you were engaged as that character under realizing, okay, I'm left without the use of my facial expression. So how do I, how do I convey? What, what were some of the things that you did? Um, I didn't really do anything different so much because like, I, you don't want to go too far over the top or like try to overcompensate. So realistically, I just focused on my eyes more. I was like, okay, so this is a thing I have to speak here. Are my eyes, uh, there, I mean, still, I'm going to be smiling and engaging in the way I am just because that's just what the face does. But yeah, so I guess I, I focused more on my eyes at that point and also just gave in you know that's the other thing is i wasn't hard on myself i was like mm -hmm. oh well you know mm -hmm. uh this is a little bit more difficult for them and for me it's like that's the other thing is like people like to sometimes blame the audience like oh the audience uh, and i'm like yeah, yeah totally but realistically it's like there's no one to blame it's life you know like not every show is gonna be a great show and you know not everyone's gonna be in the best mood and um just play like you're here you're here to play and to engage with people and like that's the other thing is like is you become more experienced actor you need less from your audience like there's this thing where it's like oh people will start to need the audience to feed them and it's like mm, no man and hopefully you know as an actor mm -hmm. and I, I know we can all three speak into this is that you also learn that just because you're not getting an expected response doesn't mean the response isn't there it's just right. delivered differently and right. so you have to learn to 
have Trust. that internal energy, whether you're getting it from the audience or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I can't agree more. And I'd like to just clarify something that you said, just for the sake of the audience understanding that, uh, because what what you're saying is that you're, the audience isn't as important as you develop as an artist. But I think what we're saying really is the audience is important. You just learn to compensate for audiences that are not bringing it, if you will. And you learn to develop, you, you, you spend so much time in development of a skill of a talent that you are now comfortable in that. And you know that what you're doing is viable, it works. And, and you become more comfortable in that knowledge, which is why the audience isn't quite as necessary or their, their response doesn't necessarily throw you off. Mm-hmm. is what I should say, because they're still important and we still need them there. And I don't think any Massively. of us would say that, right? Right? Yes. So I'm, I'm so- trying to clarify for their sake that it's nothing to do. It's, it's about a, it's a technique to self-preserve, really. Totally, man. Yeah. Also, no audience, yeah. give me a break. No audience, ah. <laughs> also, as you become more skilled, because I think when you're new and you're not getting that, you can be dismissive. But when you are more skilled and you realize that they're there, you're there to do a job. You're not dismissing them because they're not necessarily giving that expected mm-hmm. response. They're still as important and you're still going to give it regardless. Massively. Yeah. You just, it's that we don't, you don't, they can just do whatever they need to do at that point. You know, like you made something, you're there for them. And it also feels nice to just relax for everyone. For the actor, for the audience, just mm-hmm. let everyone be as they are, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and that, I'm, I love hearing you say that, the idea of leaning in to the discomfort and letting it be what it is and not letting that throw you because ultimately nobody else misses anything. They're just in there for the moment and they're seeing what's in front of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so all of that can just go away anyway. It doesn't really matter but it's stuff that we tend to carry with us. Oh my gosh, dude, because it comes down to self-worth, mm-hmm. right? It's like, it sure does. You're, you're in front of a group of 100 it, people and they're not like totally in love with you. And you're like, uh, where's my worth? You're like, you're right. still there, Derek. Right, but this is what I do. <laughs> I know. Like, why does it, don't they know I trade 4,000 hours for this? Right. <laughs> like, right, and you know what the thing is? They don't. No, they don't. And, and that's, that's why you're successful, Derek, because you don't expect them to. You don't expect that they're going to love you because you have trained so much, even though it was hard and difficult and, you know, it hurt and you gave up a lot of other things. uh, They don't see any of that, right? No, not at all. And the easier you make it, yeah, (laughs) look, yeah. easier they think it is totally that's yeah. like the key is to make it look it's just such a fun little dynamic going on with that i always feel like performance especially clown is like a is a, a deep it's a cultural anthropology in what way uh because you're really studying the what what's a, like what what gets people off like culturally like what what are people what sort of mistakes are you are people comfortable who watching and viewing what sort of what sort of engagements make people more withdrawn or what sort of like it's all comes down to how do you pinpoint specific aspects of human behavior and nature 
that are worth repeating and showing again, mm-hmm. that give people pleasure, that uh, that give people recoil. There's all these, like really it's the study, especially clown, uh, it's, it's just the study of humans and their, their folly and their failure and their successes. And like we went during my training, we would actually go out and like, hey, we're gonna go out in the city and we're just gonna watch people. We just watch how they walk and watch how they talk to each other. We watch how they interact. We'd watch, it is just so funny watching people trip over their own heels. Like mm-hmm. it just happens and people like tripping over little things on the cement and you're like, Oh, how did they handle that? Like, mm-hmm. Oh, cool. They looked to make sure no one saw. Mm-hmm. And they kind of went back to their business, but there's all these like little like, like slipping, like when you're kind of leaning on a table and your elbow slips off. Oh yeah. I love seeing that happen naturally. It's like yeah. so good. <laughs> it, it happened to me just last week. As a matter of fact, <laughs> yes. that, that particular movement. <laughs> So yeah, you just want to figure like you just you studying people and you're like, all right, cool. How and what's worth repeating? That's the other thing. It's like what what will it's interesting to think what will humans laugh at when and it really comes down to status play oftentimes. It's like what sort of failures of, of human existence will people laugh at and be along with? And what are some of those? Um, definitely all the physical ones of just small mishaps, like, um, knockabout sort of things like mm-hmm. mi- tripping on your heel, hitting your elbow. Um, the pe- stupid things people do with their silly bodies. Physical yeah. things. Yep. Those are always hit. Those are so good. If they're done well, like it's, it can be, you just have to be good at figure. I mean, it's really funny to learn how to make a mistake without like a practice mistake, but then people really love status play. People love seeing the higher status person be taken down a notch. Like they just <laughs> love it and we can't help it. It just like. So how do you do that? How does that, how does that uh, manifest in clown world? So the key is to do it playfully in a sense where the person does it themselves. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you set up scenarios um where the person of high status so they have they call it like white clown and red clown and the white clown is a high status but these like if you look at all tv shows and all the comedies and like all they're all based off of these status plays and so typically the the higher status character is like when you're high status there's this certain air about you that like you have to be very aware of yourself to make sure that that air doesn't get too far out you don't get too egotistical but when you're in this high status and these things start, like you have so much more to risk. And then all of a sudden, like you can get overwhelmed by um, your perception in public and by this and that. And all of a sudden everything seems like it's a higher stake. And so people, we naturally will just, like uh, the psychological term by Ford is like animus, anima, trickster, and shadow. And so you have the male, the female, the self-sabotager and the animal instinct, right? So humans have this wonderful desire to self-sabotage. I don't know what it is, but I can say firsthand, it's like, it exists. <laughs> and, it sure does. <laughs> so, and uh, so you can just set up scenarios like where you just like, I think of like a prime example would be, um, you know, like when there's a high status character and oftentimes that high status is reliant on a lower status. Like you can't have a high status if it's just by itself that it doesn't really have a status. Like status only works with other people. And so this high status is gonna be reliant on a lower status 
character. And so that lower status character could just simply exist as it is and simply follow, sometimes following rules to the T, right? Like, oh, this high status person is like, oh, you have to make sure you do everything absolutely perfect. And then you start doing things absolutely perfect. And that person's like, oh, wait, I made a mistake. And you're like, now this mistake is being shown back to me. Um, I feel like the best way to get a high status character to take a flop, which the public will love, is to allow that high status character to just be. Like it's gonna be, when you put yourself in scenarios with high status characters, there the audience sees it and they're like, oh my gosh, what is this person? Like, oh, that reminds me of a boss I had, or oh, that reminds me of my mother or father, or oh, that reminds me of so on. And they will, like the universe conspires with and against you all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's like, just I've realized mostly like throughout spending more time on this earth that uh, just let things and people be and it stuff just happens. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a very direct answer for you. Well, does it have something to do with um, the ego and the idea that people just get too big for their britches and uh, you know, their ego sort of gets out of control and that's when it becomes funny because, uh, you know, they, they have this sort of self-defined view of themselves mm -hmm. and it's very highfalutin and excuse the expression, but their, their poop don't stink. You know, that's <laughs> okay. sort of what we all want to say, but then you see how much it does. Totally. Right? Yeah. We're all human, man. Right. It sort of, sort of reminds me like the, the quintessential pairing that comes to mind when you're describing this is the, um, oh my God, I just went up on his name, the Grinch and his dog. Mm -hmm. oh, totally. Yes, right? absolutely. Yep. Okay. Beautiful. That's a beautiful, like, um, I think contemporary uh, description of those. Yeah, that's really good. Um, sign of like high and low status characters and that would be a white clown and a red clown got for it example so you right and the, go ahead please i was going to say yeah so the dog doesn't really do anything to usurp the high status of the grinch no it just simply exists right right it's, but yet I, somehow sort of as a foil but sometimes yeah. the universe uh uh works with the dog and sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes it works with the wrench, and sometimes it doesn't, and yeah. it's just that. It's just that. Sometimes you win, sometimes you right, lose, right. and it's all quite hilarious. Right. <laughs> you know? right. It's like That's, being a parent. <laughs> totally, man. It's like you win some, you lose some, and uh, the higher you feel like you put yourself on a pedestal, just that fall is a little bit more dramatic. Mm -hmm. And fun for those around you, yes. And for all, everyone yes, yes. around watching, right. like, oh, that's a okay. So <laughs> it's like when you watch a performer, you know, whether you're watching a cabaret or a show, and there is an obvious mistake. If you try to ignore it, it really annoys the audience. But if you play along with it and bring them into your universe and let them see that very special, you've now endeared yourself to them and you've leveled the playing field a little bit and everybody enjoys it more. Oh my gosh, yes. 
even if they're on your side. Yes. You know, even if they're on your side from the very I'd say beginning. Even more so if they're on your side. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah. Okay, I have a question that I have okay. to ask because you know, you said something about clown work and the observation of humans, human nature, and how you base your work. Then why is it so many people are afraid of clowns? What is it? Do you have a, an idea? I've asked, so I've, I've done some research on that. I've asked some questions. Um, like what, like a very simple answer to get to it is uh, like the clown is the, the true anarchist. Like the clown really lives outside of rules, right? In the clown, in the, that universe. And like throughout history, like clowns have been revered as these great figures, you know, throughout all of history. Like the clown is really important in the, uh, the existence of a fully functioning rounded society. And it's oftentimes because of the pressure valve, right? So I think part of it, the contemporary reason as to why people are afraid of clowns is because there's like multiple styles of clown and one specific style of clown is called grotesque makeup, mm -hmm. but that's just the makeup. And it's just so, it just completely covers your entire face, you know? And they're also acting in a way that is outside of the normal um, paradigm of human behavior. So I think these come into play and then it comes down to cultural, like our societal um, pack or what it's, we really love to be a part of a group. And so certain things will start moving and, and they're like, oh, all of a sudden this person's afraid of clowns. And like, oh, well, I'm afraid of clowns too. And then someone and like, oh yeah, me too. And I was like, yeah, me too, me too. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, now everyone's afraid of clowns. Mm. I mean, let's be honest as well. I think in the eighties, there were a couple clowns that I wouldn't really say were clowns that did some kind of weird things. Like? <laughs> like murdering people. And I was going to ask if, if you thought that the clown has been vilified by the media, by movies, or by clowns themselves, or by people portraying clowns. God, it's both, man. Like it's, uh, I mean, realistically, having someone who's like a serial killer. What was it? Who was that guy? Like a uh, Gacy or something? John Wayne Gacy or something? Yeah. Yeah. Who, who dressed like a dressed clown? Is like a kid's right. Clown. He like, was a children's clown. Right. Totally so psycho, dude. Right. And uh, so this is another interesting thing. So um, there's a few uh, um, theater art forms that have been just bastardized and uh, they go puppeteers, mimes, clowns. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason is because all three of them are annoying art forms. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> so let's be real. All let's art forms real. can be annoying. Annoying, totally. <laughs> Nice. I like. I love studying mime. I love puppetry. But um, but people will look at these things and then they're like, "Oh, I can do that." And then all of a sudden, you have someone who's a clown. Like, "Oh, I'm a clown. I put on makeup and a costume." Like, that's all you do, and you suck at it. And now, eighty-five to ninety percent. I'm not saying right now at this moment, but like, close. The number's close, man. There's so many bad clowns there's so many bad puppeteers there's so many i don't even see mimes really anymore but people see these art forms and they're like oh that i can do that 
And it's like, yeah, it looks simple, but that's like the hardest things are those things that look simple because mm -hmm. you can just walk into them like, oh, look at me. I put on this makeup and this costume. So I think there's a one is um, the like the, the sort of serial killers, whatever these. Let's go way before that. So the first one is that the clowns originally were the pressure valve for, for society. Like the crazies. That, yeah, that can scare people, right? When you're mm -hmm. like, whoa, this person can get away with anything. Like you think of the jester in medieval times, like they can get away with anything with the king. Like that's kind of a scary person where you're like, and it's not like you're afraid physically for your harm, but it's more like, oh, whoa, this person is not acting in societal norms. It kind of, it's a little scary, right? And then number two would be then like more, current would be let's say the serial killer clowns or whatever weirdos were there in the 80s and then you have sort of the the uh expectation that anyone can do this like you personally without training can go and participate or perform one of these arts so then you have all these people performing it badly and then the other one is um the uh group mentality of let's all jump on the same boat together think that kind of covers it of like those four different dynamics as to why people have a fear of clowns I think I don't have any proof I don't know. what about you do you like clowns <laughs> you feel, Alex? I do. do you I didn't know to be afraid of dolls until the twilight zone <laughs> and I realized I'm supposed to be afraid of dolls but I've never been afraid of clowns okay and, and I um I take each clown as he or she comes mm -hmm. yeah like, right right I mean there are great clowns and to your point there are not so great clowns yeah. and so many varieties but so. i i think uh the idea that they're really the good ones are really intuitive and perceptive and they can mind bend a bit those are the really delicious clowns you know oh my gosh totally man yeah the ones they're that can take you by surprise and you know, Make do you, something, go ahead. They'll help you feel comfortable, simultaneously comfortable and uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. Like that's the great part. Or like, oh my God, I'm really comfortable in this discomfort. You know, that's like, it's like a, you want, there's a nice safety with. There's a safety, a feeling of safety. Yeah. yeah. If the clown is, because you feel like, you should feel like at worst, nothing bad is going to happen because it's yes. a clown. Totally. Right? I mean, it's, how bad could it get? totally right? so you want to be immersed in that totally and then the curiosity like there's something just so sweet about like curiosity and like effervescence and buoyancy and being around like i have seen some amazing clowns and i just like it's still one of my favorite art forms just because it's just it's so captivating you know and i just like it there's i i've seen so many skilled things and i love skilled tricks and i love all that stuff but i also just love like an authentic storyteller i'm like oh whoa oh i didn't and like the world like we're so our us humans love categorizing things and we make everything so normal and like i wake up and i do the same routine and i love routine i put it in my life so then like there's moments where i'm just like someone just can someone please knock me off my routine real quick safe though right um, and I feel like that's where the clown comes in really powerfully. So, so you've been working really hard on creating some new show, uh, presentations, some new, uh, characters, roaming characters. And, uh, we took a look and really liked what you're doing. There's a style and a finesse 
about your characters and uh, you're elevating the look, which is really cool. And also uh, modernizing it a bit. It's, it looks like to us of the, of the performer, if you will, modernizing their looks. Um, well, I'm curious, I'm curious to know what, why skating? I personally love it. Mm -hmm. um, this is definitely, you know, not a, a dirge on skating, but I'm curious as to know why skaters, why now, yeah. what, what was the inspiration? Oh my gosh. Okay, cool. Uh, first off, roller skating is the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> <Went up. laughs> I, uh, I grew up rollerblading personally. I grew up and went to this place called Skate City. So I roller skated for a while, but then rollerblades came on the scene and uh, you weren't caught with roller skates in my town. Right. Uh, once 90. blades came out, right. Once blades came, you're like, what blading? And so then I was just like a hardcore blader. I didn't really do much extreme stuff. And then um, about seven years ago, this friend of mine, Frederick, gave me a pair of his Rydell light beige or brown suede skates, like clean, like super clean skates. Wow. It's so nice looking. And um, I went out and skated them for a little bit. And then about four years ago, I was like, I want to make a skate crew. Like that's kind of missing in the event scene and skating is so awesome. I used to come, I grew up in Colorado and then I uh, came to San Diego for vacation. Every, like every other summer we'd stay in Mission Beach, my whole family, like my grandparents and all that. And I have this vivid memory of seeing roller skaters down at Belmont Park. And we'd go down and I was young, like 12 and between, I think we were doing that between like eight and 17 before I moved here and um and I go down and I'd see these roller skaters looking so fly and they'd have their cone set up and they'd be out there and they'd be all smooth and I remember being like whoa this is skates this is really cool like this is amazing and then um and then time went by and then so yeah a few years ago I was like I want to create a skate crew like I remember this like skating is so awesome no one's doing this and um and the skate scene hadn't really popped off yet like I could have done a little bit more work and been digging more, but I was just like, Hey, like, I don't, I'm putting energy into this, but I'm not going to like break myself over trying to get the skate crew. And then COVID happened and I got my skates back on and I started skating. And then I started bombing this hill in ocean beach called Hill street, super dangerous. And, uh, <laughs> Then I went back and did it again with no gear on and I a car pulled out in front of me and I tried to avoid it, which I did. I avoided this car and I tapped it, but I was at a curve at the bottom of Hill Street and I just went into oncoming traffic. Luckily, I didn't get hit by anyone, but then I tried to skid out. I'm going fast, man. And I tried to skid out and I couldn't skid and it threw me in a 360 and hurled me into a parked car it, I hit with my whole body and I was on the ground and I stood up and I looked at my hands and they're just pouring blood and I looked at my wrist and I was like oh dude you broke your wrist and I looked down at my knees and I was like oh your knees look pretty bad too oh my god <laughs> I know it's so funny and so all the beaches were closed at that point and um so the street is packed full of people in cars watching the sunset. It was right at sunset. And uh, I get up off the ground and I look up 
to like the crowd of people across the street and no one could, no one would look me in the eyes it was like that i look up and they look away they're like oh my gosh and uh there was one guy who came up to help me of course i hope so yeah one oh. dude i know no one it was it was interesting unreal i know the, even the car i hit there was someone in it this dude was in it and he's like what the f bro and i'm like uh i, I don't know he's like you hit my fucking car and i'm like uh okay is it okay and he's like yeah I'm like okay then we get back to my little scenario here because i'm bleeding bro and i think i broke my wrist and so uh the guy was like and hey man are you okay this other dude and uh i was like yeah i'm fine man i think i broke my wrist and he's like maybe not i was like yeah probably I was like i'm just gonna ride home he's like okay and i start riding my skates i get half a block and all of a sudden the blood goes to my head i start to pass out uh so this is kind of a long story but i'll shorten it and uh so then I stop on the corner right there and there's this couple watching the sunset and uh, I was like, man, I'm really sorry to, to get in your view right here, but I'm just like, I need to sit down. It hurt. Like, oh, uh, yeah, you're, you look really bad. <laughs> and I was like, Thanks. He's like, you want some coconut water? So he gave me some coconut water. Uh, I called a friend. They picked me up, took me to the emergency room. Um, luckily, not a single soul was in the emergency room, which is super cool. So uh, I got fixed up really quick. I did break my wrist. Um, my hands were really messed up. So then uh, that put a bosh on a lot of my life at the moment. Like COVID had already put a bosh on it, put a stop to it. Uh, and then now I have a broken wrist and it kind of sucks. Like you need two hands to do a lot of things. Except a lot for, of things. A lot, except for thinking. So I have a tea table. I drink tea every day, loose leaf tea and so I just ended up sitting in front of my tea table. And as I sat in front of my tea table, I was just thinking. And one thing that stayed in my head was like, I really love roller skates and I can't wait for my wrist to heal so I can go out and skate again. <laughs> and so my wrist healed, took a while. Um, and then I went out and started skating and like got back in my groove, realized at that moment that I should have never been bombing a hill without gear. I probably shouldn't have been bombing a hill in the first place. I was like feeling very reckless. I remember being at the top of that hill and like specifically having this older gentleman that's like 60 rode his bike up to me and said, you're not going to bomb that hill, are you? And I was like, yeah. He's like, you need a helmet. I was like, no, I'm fine. And he's like, uh, you need someone to watch your traffic. I'm like, I'm fine. And this guy was like yeah. there trying to save me. Um, so I don't bomb hills anymore. <clears throat> and I realized that just skating regularly on the ground is actually not that dangerous. Like people still break their wrists from time to time, but it's like with everything. So not after bombing a hill. I know it was such, Oh my God, it's called Hill street. It was such, sure. like, it was a crazy, crazy, crazy day. Oh my God. Uh, and uh, my wrist, like I still, it's been a year now. It happened March 29th. Um, my wrist is fine, but it's like, I still, I'm, I'm aware that it was broken at one point. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. you're not getting any younger, Derek. I'm sorry to bring it up, but no, you'll feel probably a lot more pain from that wrist before you leave this earth. Totally. It's going to be there with me for a little while. Yeah. But, uh, so then I just started skating more. And then uh, I have some other friends at skate. And I was like, you guys, let's create a skate crew. And so I called us the Rainbow Vipers. And we would get together three times a week and we would go skate. And then we started finding dance moves, skate moves. And then I was like, I'm not joking. I realized skating just it made my heart flutter. I would get on my skates and I would skate around and everything would disappear. 
and I would have a little boom box with me. And I just was like, man, I don't remember feeling this good with, I just haven't felt this way in a long time. Mm. Um, so it's like taking a walk in La Jolla yes, alone, totally just doing something for yourself. Yeah, for yourself and quiet. And so, yeah, that's the skates, man. So now I got a skate crew, Rainbow Vipers. They're awesome. Um, yeah, we, they look great. They're going to, yeah. they're available for live mm-hmm. events, right? And yes, they'll they skate in and out and they also can be part of a show. Totally. Yeah, man. They're great. Like, there's, I was just in Tampa recently too. So I have like a really extensive skate list now. In Tampa, Florida, man, the skate crews down there, like, mind-blowing and then up in la i work with some skaters um so yeah we can do anything like sky's the limit with skates right now that's great yeah you also have news reporters yeah the phone news crew they're so cool (laughs) it's a fun idea thanks that came during like the masks were created pre-covid um so there's this uh artist Saul Steinberg that did these like really cool paper masks. He would throw these parties in the mid sixties, early seventies. And, um, and so another artist friend introduced me to him a while ago and we made these masks and then COVID came and I was doing some other like funny personal art project. And I was like, Hey, I want these paper masks people to be a news crew. Cause like news is like past four years has been just whatever. I don't even have to talk about this. Right. <laughs> so, right. We all know. Totally. And uh, so then I had a friend make me a news camera right? <laughs> that was a faux news, F-A-U-X news, the faux news, team, faux news team. And so then I like those characters just started to develop. I'm like, oh, what's up with like faux news? What is news? Like, and what's up with the absurdity of news? You see, other important thing is like, man, life is serious. It's scary sometimes. And so it's really funny to just make a joke about it sometimes <laughs> it is <laughs> so the idea here is that these reporters go out into an audience and they interview people about these fake news stories that they make up i assume yeah. Yeah. and they get they get they get engaged with people who buy into the story i assume and do they uh is there anything else that comes with this to the to the people uh it, it, are they do are they engaged do little, in any other way yeah so we we go on site and then we do interviews with people and we start involving them in the news team like there's a whole the thing is it can just build in so many ways uh, but the simple ways that we start out is just by going in and just interviewing people and interviewing them in the most absurd ways of like thinking of the most whack wackadoodle news you could ever think of it's not going to even be close to, to true something mm-hmm. where people can hear it and be like oh that is totally not true at all and you know so it's like we create a safe space for people to play and just kind of engage in that sense and then like we can turn them into newscasters like we can you kind of just start small with the play and then see where it goes from there because you know a news team as of now we have a, a videographer and a reporter but then you know a news team can have like five or six people so we can kind of play with it so where does the term penny farthing come from? I meant to look it up. It's a bicycle. Yeah. Uh, Who's penny farthing? Totally or what's a big wheel bicycle. Yeah. I think I'm, I need to assume that that was the name of the person who made it. I think like, I haven't looked that up recently either. I but, thought um, for sure, you I know, and I meant to look it up too, bikes. because it's just an interesting bike. 
name for a bike, a penny farthing they bike. They're really cool too. And watching them in action. Yeah, they're uh, so much fun. I just found it. The penny farthing bicycle say? obtained its name from the penny and farthing coins of the time. The bike was made entirely of metal instead of wood and the tires were rubber. The high center of gravity often caused the rider to topple forward whenever it hit any small obstacle. So it's just the coins, a penny and a farthing. Oh. Is it whether or not you're going to land on your head or your tails? There you totally. go. Because yeah. you're going down. <laughs> Because you're going somewhere. I love that it said that because it's true. Like bikes, you can flip forward really easily on those things. They, and they don't, uh, they're dangerous. They're dangerous, dude. Yeah. They're no not, bombing a hill in one of those, please. No. And they're fixed, they're fixed speed. So you don't have back brakes on them. Um, and yeah, they're just still front heavy uh, or top heavy. So, like, yeah, if you hit a bump on the road, like you're going to go over the front of the bike. Wow. And that's why but they can, don't have any back brakes. That's why you can go over the front of, uh, that's another reason why you could go over the front of the bike. Totally. Yeah. They're, they, it's, I'll ride them around town though. This for play sometimes, like I don't, it's not my regular bicycle, but I'll ride them around town and I'm not joking. The sense of joy that emits from the public, just random people. It just is a smile enhancer. You're like, Oh is. my gosh, what is that? Yeah, it's just set. It's like it's nice to see things that are just kind of absurd, and and they're just. I really love riding them too. They're just fun, fun bikes. If if I may, I'm kind of curious about something that you're developing about yeah. your your whole approach to working and wellness and entertainment because uh, it's, it's a balance I've been really trying to find in my life and I just was wondering if you could explain a little bit about that I, I really love that you're having lived in Japan for two years that you're using tea ceremony oh cool oh cool okay um so when I broke my wrist I also had to sit and not only think about like roller skating but I think about everything about my life um and one thing i realized when the pandemic hit when everything in my life kind of took a stop was that i looked at my life and i was like derek you don't have any hobbies hmm. like wow that's interesting and like my career was started off doing circus and like i really loved juggling like that was a hobby that i really loved all these things i had these hobbies and um and then they all kind of turned into work. And then all of a sudden, like work went away and I looked at my life and I thought, Derek, all you've been doing is working. And yeah, you're happy, but you're missing something. And then I would talk to other people, like the gamut of people who work, like doesn't matter if you work in the event industry. I mean, hospitals obviously were going through some work, corporations, even if you didn't get laid off from work, whether you got laid off or not, people were having these conversations and it like came to understand that everyone was feeling a little, a lot of overwhelmed and a little bit of just, what was the term I would use? That people were feeling a little empty inside. Mm -hmm. And it's weird that COVID did that. Like it sucks, man. I'm so sad for all the like disruption that happened all people lost their lives and like families got broken up and people lost bit all this so many bad things happened and um 
but they're luckily the silver lining is that there is like everyone experienced a, like a minor or major personal awakening. Like I feel like people spent more time with their families and they're able to spend more time with their friends and they're able to just sit at home and not do freaking anything like garden. And so I, at that moment was like, Derek, all right, you've been working in the event industry for a long time. Um, you're always trying to offer something like, what can you offer? Like, what do they really need? And what it is, is like, it's like, what do I need? And it's not just like a selfish, what do I need? It's like, okay, what, what am I feeling? And I, and then I would go out and talk to friends and strangers and be like, what are you feeling? And what I realized is that there was a lack, there's a lack of connection that people were having in their work lives and people were overworking themselves and it's okay to work a lot. I like that. I, I feel a sense of accomplishment, fulfillment from successful, like succeeding in tasks and, and, and creation, but there's a greater depth to it. And so like I started working on different ways and like realistic. So I've done a bunch of physical theater improv or just theater improv as well as clown work. And those two exercises in themselves have been so good at leveling the playing field of people in the room. I'm like, oh, wow, there's 20 of us in the room. We're of different ages, we're of different jobs. And now all of a sudden we're here like very vulnerable together. And all of a sudden these people are my best freaking friends. And it just feels really nice. And I, I've been practicing yoga for 20 years. I've been practicing Qigong for seven years. I've been drinking tea for six years. Um, and tea, like we're sitting, I sit in the morning and have tea for about an hour by myself, just writing and reading. And um, I've, I've participated in some sound therapy, some sound healing sessions, which are just so delicious and just so good. You just lay there and let someone like play uh, instruments around you. It's just so, so nice. Um, so what I was realizing, I was like, you know, Derek, wellness is way more than a healthy diet and exercise. There's so much more, like those are in, important. They're super important, but the ability to express yourself for me is a true like sense of wellness. And in order to express yourself, like authentically express yourself, there's a lot of deep conversations that you need to have with yourself and people that are close to you. And I think, you know, oftentimes I'm afraid to say things, you know, and oftentimes I'm afraid to act a certain way. And it's like, I think what I really wanted to focus on is like, Hey, all these creative tools have helped me evolve as a human being. So how can I now use these in order to help other people that are in the world, you know? And like, and I was like, hey, you know, I've worked in the corporate and in, in event industry for a while. Um, I wanna blend the line between creativity and personal wellness. And so that's where I, like the past 10 months, I've just been creating a, a program and platform where I'm like, hey, this is the way to integrate the idea of a more holistic wellness or entertainment experience. Love it. I think what's, well, it is awesome. Uh, it spoke to us immediately uh, for a number of reasons. One, post-pandemic, people are looking for more than just entertainment. They want something a little bit more meaningful, and this brings the meaning. And uh, the other reason is, um, I just, it just went off my, out of my head again. That happens Good, to me gotcha. so many times. <laughs> yeah. I've been doing improv regularly again on a weekly basis. And 
I just love, man, there's like, there's something so human and wonderful about creating on the spot with people. It makes me so happy. And I feel like you both have done improv, correct? Yes. Right? Yes. At least practice some back in the day. Right. Um, and it's just such like, and it still makes me nervous. It's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> right. And I think it's like you, that's why you want to make sure you're in a good, you have a good instructor. Right. Because yeah, it's, I, I think, yeah, it's weird how, and it's the thing is there's no risk. Right. It's like the risk is so low that what you're going to not say. And what's funny with improv too, it's like, when people mess up, it's the funniest. Like, I absolutely love it. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. They're like that. I don't even know what's happening right now, but it, I love every bit of it. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I just continue to like, I'm going back into that where like, I'm going to keep going to this on a weekly basis and like checking this out and, and not teaching. Like I'm actually doing my best, like to just be a student. I want to continue to be a student for the rest of my life. And it's funny, the better you get at something, the harder it is to be bad, to look bad at something. Yes, that's a good point. The harder, the better you, wait, say that again. The better you get at something, the harder it is to look bad at something. Not the harder, so it's, let me say that better. Uh, the better you get at things in your life, the more difficult it is for you to accept being bad at something. Oh, okay. Yes, mm -hmm. that Yes, you, the, the expectation swells, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and it's like, uh, I want to I wanna take, you can, you can take things incredibly seriously without being so damn serious. That's my little life philosophy that I'm dealing with myself. It's like, Derek, you can take these things really serious, but don't be so freaking serious about it. Like, chill out, bro. Like, kind of like life is to be lived in. Um, Perspective. Yeah, man, perspective and have this big thing. Like I learned so much through my challenges in life. I've had some, as we all have had some challenging freaking experiences, things that just mm -hmm. hurt so bad. And um, I'm so grateful for them. I have learned an, a, a mass amount more so than I would from my experiences of joy, mm -hmm. but I want my baseline to be that of joy and and relaxed you know like i don't want to have high expectations of of anyone of myself like i i'm going to be doing the work i'm going to continue to do the work i'm going to continue to show up i'm going to continue to like strive for things but if i'm not having fun while i'm doing it like life is hard enough it's going to throw me things i have to deal with but in general i want to have fun and i want people around me to be like feel safe as well and have fun and i I, I can't agree with you more. I think that's the way that we prefer to work as well. And uh, there will always be difficulties, right? So why, why focus on them? Why make them more of an issue than they need to be when you can focus on the opposite? It's really a choice, right? And, it's a choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's hard though. You got to practice. Like that's the other thing. You have thing. to. You have to practice like coming up with like changing your perspective, like mm -hmm. I personally, like, I think a daily writing practice is really important for people. I've been doing it, like, I'll write a page to three pages every morning. And I'm not joking. It just completely changes my outlook on life. So yeah, like, you get it out. Yep. Yeah. Get it out, man. And also then do reading. Like, I will read every morning of, like, different Anthony DeMello, this incredible, like, theologian and 
Jesuit priest. He's such an incredible uh, author. You can read uh, Tara Brock. She does a book, uh, Bracing Your or Radical Acceptance. That's another beautiful book where you're like, oh, okay. Like, listen to these teachers that are out there and then like take their information in and then sit and write about your day and your life. And like, oh, wh why am I bothered by this? Like, mm -hmm. I feel like it's your responsibility as a human where if you don't do your morning routine, if you don't have a conversation with yourself in the morning, and I'm not sure, I feel like throughout the day, it's good multiple times and at night it's okay too. But for me, and I think for the public, like your morning routine is the most important. Like there should at least be, an, I like an hour, like I set my alarm extra early. I'll wake up at 5.30 or like in the winter and 6.30 during the summer hours. And just to make sure I have that time to, to check myself. Because it's like, if I don't check myself and I don't write about how I'm feeling and these things, then all of a sudden I get up and I start interacting with people and I'm unchecked. So it's mm -hmm. like, oh, there might be this thing deep inside of me that I haven't dealt with yet. And now all of a sudden I'm speaking with someone and maybe my tone isn't coming across the way I'd like it to, or maybe I'm losing my cool a little bit more. And there's a whole bunch of things, but. Um, it's a very conscientious way, a very mindful way to walk through life. Totally. And take responsibility right. you know, for yourself because right. shit's hard, dude. <laughs> like right. Figuring yourself out. You're like, uh, right. why did I wake up? And why does it feel like the world is just on me right now? I'm like, oh. Well, and, and, and it's important not to feel alienated in that feeling, which is what yeah. most people feel. They're the only ones that have ever been put upon in such a way, which gives them the right to act or respond or react in a certain way, which is not the way life works at all. Bad things happen to good people all the time. And you just sort of have to suck it up and do what you need to do, do your routine, right? Have conversations with yourself, whatever it is to face a new day and be the same person you were yesterday. Yeah, but a little bit better. A little bit better. <laughs> there's this, I agree. Uh, there's always trying to be a little bit better. Totally. Right. There's a, a Shunryu Suzuki who's like brought Zen practice to the United States or the Western world in the 70s. Uh, he has a saying that I love, and I didn't know, I, it was just stuck in my head forever. And then I finally found out that it was him who wrote it. And he said, uh, you are perfect the way that you are, but you can use some improvement. <laughs> I, I love you. Live with that. <laughs> love you too, man. I like no, that. What's, I, what's the, it's like that musical. Oh, I love, I love you. you're perfect, now change. Yeah, I love you, you're perfect, now change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we we could talk to you for a, a lot longer, but we're given being given the signal to please go to our next segment, which is our game segment, which is when we get to have a little fun with you before we close close out the segment, close with out me? the show. Yeah, we have a little game we play called This or That. You didn't tell. I wasn't made aware that there was a game. <laughs> like, I know that was on purpose. <laughs> You're looking I'm at me sorry. like. Sorry, <laughs> I'm not going to give you all the all the clues. You got to have a cool. little excitement. You okay. know what? Just it's think of it as yes and, right? That's okay, all. yes and. Okay, yes it's and. easy. It's not too easy, though, where it's like, you're not just going to, like, it's, like, it's not, it's not too easy. You might have to think about a few of them, but I, I think you'll have some fun. Okay. I hope. It's simple, though. Okay. Um, it's, uh, it's a this or that situation. I, we have 10 questions. Okay. Which give you a choice of this or that. You just okay. pick one or the other. However... You get one, I'd like them both, and one, I wouldn't like either of them. 
Okay. Only get one of each of those. Perfect. And I will say that most people do blow their wad right at the beginning and then wish they hadn't at the end. So <laughs> save them. You might okay. just want to. Do I, uh, am I going to win something? Like, do I get sugar? You have, you've already won. <laughs> I did. Thanks. <laughs> so sweet. I'd say our love and respect and admiration, but it's all right. That's crazy. I was thinking like, I was going to get a special voice on my answering machine or something. Like what are the other things they typically would give people on? I don't need anything. Let's go. Let's roll. Anthony, okay. I'm, I, I think you have all that you need, but I'm, okay. I'll buy you a cup of coffee if you get these right. Okay. However, there is no right or wrong. That's right. So okay. But if you get them wrong, no coffee. But there ah. is no right or wrong. Okay. All right. So number one. Okay. Commedia dell'arte or clowning? Mm. Um, uh, for me to play or to watch? I would say to play. That's what that was. What our intention was to play. Commedia has so many characters in it. It's got such a handful and such. It's a broad stroke. I'll go Commedia. Okay, thank you. He's gonna be just like me when you played the game with me, Alex. Lots of questions. Okay. <laughs> Number two, stilts or flats? Oh my gosh, stilts. Great. Totally. Number three, paisleys or polka dots? Oh my gosh. Oh, Paisleys are a little bit more challenging. But man, they both, it depends on the vibe, right? But I'm going to go polka dots because they just always kill. Right. Yeah. Who can't smile at a polka dot? Totally, dude. You put them right. on a bikini, you put them on right. a dress, put them on a suit. Like, I don't Whatever. Polka, polka dots fit everywhere. Okay. Tofu or tempeh? These are hard for him. Neither. Okay. Tofu. I'll go tofu. Tofu. But but you were you almost said neither. Neither. I'm not just. I'm not a really huge fan of uh, those tempeh specifically. They're just not really good for your gut. Um, tofu. I like. I like a really nice fried tofu. I think it's good. I eat tofu more regularly, but uh, neither of them excite me. That's for sure. Okay. I'm glad about that. Ambient or, or ambient entertainment or show entertainment. Ooh. Both. Okay. Uh, your wad has been shot. No, no, your wad has not yeah. been shot. You still have one. Still have All right. One more. Okay. Early mornings or late nights? Early mornings. Mm -hmm. I think you just told us that. Yeah. Coffee or tea? Tea. Tea, but man, I still drink coffee, but tea. Yeah. Bello Knock or Bill Irwin? Bill, man. Bill Irwin. Yeah, yeah for cool. sure. That was cool. I just saw him just like last month. He's cool too, but Bill Irwin's more my style. Creating it or performing it? Oh. Um, creating it. Last question. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you're not going to use your neither here, so... We'll just toss that one out right now. Number 10, Barnum and Bailey or Cirque du Soleil? Oh my gosh. I mean, super obvious. I mean, look, it's great. I mean, it is, but it isn't. 
that's that's the thing about being obvious yeah it right it isn't yeah they hold they hold different spaces but i feel like cirque has done such a wonderful thing for circus and specifically clowns in this like modern century so i'm gonna go with cirque great well the great news is that you won so we'll be having a cup of coffee Woo! can't wait <laughs> Woo! At that some point. Great. I love winning. It feels so good. <laughs> it's so much better than losing. Totally. <laughs> but as Madonna said, it's important to always laugh at yourself. Exactly. Good work, Anthony. Although I can't believe that she said that. I have a hard time with that. I, the thing Are is, you sure? It's much easier to say things than it is to do things. And I think Madonna, I mean, once this is the other thing, like she's in the public realms like so i bet you madonna has the greatest laughs at her expense i bet you just belly rolling laughter on the floor by herself super happy and vulnerable and not giving a shit what anyone fucking thinks and like well sugar we can all be vulnerable when we're by ourselves totally of course but that's what matters that's when you write things down and you're like oh cool that's what i want the world to experience. right i mean that's easy <laughs> yeah totally uh any famous any any last words for us before we uh we bid adieu to mr uh, derek gilday anything you'd like to share um i'd like to share that uh there the uh i forget the college i should, I should share this with someone i just recently uh found a application online that helps you study the songs of birds and what they realized is that if you look at the actual tonal quality of the song that it's singing, and you actually watch that representation, that visual representation, and listen to the song of the bird, you actually can remember it. And so I recently went out and got a list of all the birds in San Diego and have been watching this little um, website, going on this website and studying the birds. And I'm starting to be able to pick up hear the song of a bird and know which one it is and so what i think i would recommend to people is to spend five minutes every day in a place where you can quietly listen to the birds sing to you that's a great uh, piece of advice and i'd like to say one that i try to follow especially when i'm out there it's just the birds are so cacophonous and fabulous it's the bomb I yeah. love them so much. Yeah. So I got my idea. Even the crows. I know people don't like crows. Yeah. I love it when the crows are talking. It makes oh me happy. God. Totally. And the parrots. Mm -hmm. Like, don't say anything about the parrots. Don't you dare. Parrots are great, man. They're called a cacophony of parrots. Mm -hmm. There was a there's a there's a sound that the crow makes. It's a clicking sound mm -hmm. that I've just begun to notice. Mm -hmm. It must what? be a, a mating call, I'm thinking, of some kind hummingbirds are the weirdest sound so hummingbirds you probably won't even know but they chirp they're like chirp, chirp. and you'll so you'll probably hear this out throughout your garden like not really know what it is but it's the hummingbirds they make a really loud and it's just a singular like chirp. short and very succinct pitch, right yeah. yeah 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 it's like a bark almost i feel like it's yeah. hummingbird barking yeah we have them all around the house so we we do hear them it's really, I love them. Got me too. 
Mr. Derek Gilday, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. We'll be seeing more of you as the world opens up and working with you. And we're just delighted to have you as a resource. And we look forward to the great things we're going to do together. So thank you. Thanks for being such a, a mover and a shaker and for bringing us some product that we feel is going to work in, in the new world when it comes to be again. So thank you. Thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you. Wow, it is really great to get to know Derek uh, more and more, better and better, I should say. There is so much more to him than meets the eye when, uh, you know, when you first meet him. He's, he is really very conscientious about his art and about his performance and his presentation and uh, meticulous. And it's really terrific. And there's so much depth. Yes. And he, he talks the talk. He doesn't just walk the walk. He lives his life as he does his art. Yes, he does. Um, he's obviously a thrill seeker, bombing hills. <laughs> My God. Okay. I would, I, for me, that would have been a death sentence. Like, there's just no way that I would have survived that. Like, no way. Neither. In fact, I don't even think I would have rolled all the way down the hill i probably would have fallen somewhere mid hill or top a hill and rolled the rest of the way you know my body rolling not my roller skates <laughs> the fact that he did that and then did it without a helmet i, I i'm floored where does that courage come from you know i, I don't know because i'm hyperventilating thinking about it i'm catastrophizing in my brain right this very minute mm -hmm. so that's one of those little visuals I put in a balloon, snip the thing and let it go. Oh, so I don't spin out about it. Yeah, it, it, you can't think about it too much. Yeah, it really is a, amazing. It's, it's the kind of daredevilish uh, attitude you have to have if you're going to be a Cirque performer, I suppose, yeah. and you're going to do some daring feats with your body. Uh, um, it's just amazing to me. And the fact that, you know, when he was talking about being a kid and roller skating and then like jumping right onto rollerblading and being an avid rollerblader, all I could think was two things. One was I do not do well with wheels that are not, that yeah, don't come in a set of four on a car, right? And you too. Yeah. Yep. I suck yes. at it. Yeah, they just, I don't know what it is. But, and two, I remember vividly to this day, my friend Scott getting his pair of rollerblades in LA and he wanted these rollerblades and I went with him and he got these rollerblades and he put them on as soon as he got home and boom, within 10 minutes, he had a broken arm. And I was like, there's no way that I'm ever going to get on rollerblades. I, it just fascinates me that people feel so at ease on them. Yeah. I don't get it because it's not natural. It's not natural. It ain't. If God, God wanted you to roll, he'd put wheels up where your feet are. <laughs> he would have made your feet wheelies. Exactly. I just, I, and I, I yearn <laughs> so much for that. You know, it's like being a dancer. You know, I, I yearn for my body to be able to do those fabulous moves in ballet, you know, musical theater dance, but just doesn't happen.
it is what it is, folks. Yes. So wonderful to talk to Derek. Uh, lots to offer from Derek through Balada Entertainment, lots of different kinds of engagements. And uh, the joy of having him on site, you can tell. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of it. Yep. So, so, yes. And maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll get some penny farthing bicycle lessons. Yeah, I'll know. watch. I didn't mention it while he was on because I didn't want to have to hold him to anything. But I think we should ask him. Yeah, in a safe place, please. In a safe way, because as you know, I am prone to falling. <laughs> I mean, no joke. I mean, I proved it to you all. No, I know. I'm saying I'm, I'm impressed that you're even willing to entertain it. I know. So, Why not? God bless. I have another hip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who cares? Right. <laughs> Hey, if you enjoyed listening to us today, please subscribe. And if you really like us and you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, go ahead, give us that five-star review. Go ahead, just do it. Who cares? If you'd like to leave us a question or a comment, just go to balada.com and look for the podcast tab, and there'll be a place for you to do so. We look forward to hearing from you. All right, that's it. Bye-bye. Say goodbye, Alex. Goodbye.